Well, this will be uh, the third and final time I speak about uh, gossip in this uh, series. Uh, two weeks ago, I spoke on recognizing gossip, and last week I talked about uh, resisting gossip. And this morning, I want to uh, talk about how we re- should respond uh, to gossip, specifically when we are gossiped about. Uh, and uh, at, at some point in your life, uh, you will be slandered, you will be gossiped about. Now, that, that might have happened when you were in uh, middle school or high school. Maybe it hasn't happened yet, but I can assure you at some point it will happen. Now, how, can I, how can I give such an assur- assurance uh, of that nature, that you will be gossiped about at some point? Well, first and foremost, gossip and slander. Uh, as uh, Christians, we should expect gossip and slander to come at us from the world. If you have uh, your copy of God's Word, if you open up to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, part of the, the Beatitudes uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says this. says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? Uh, And that's not usually how we think of persecution. That's not usually how we think of uh, people speaking uh, evil against us. That we are blessed. But that's what Jesus says there. And later on in Matthew, if we turn over to Matthew 10, verse 25, he says, It is not enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher uh, and the slave like his master. If they called... Uh, The head of the house, Beelzebul. And this is, uh, in essence, the the charge that the religious leaders were bringing against Jesus. He says, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Later on in John 15, which we'll we'll get to when we resume our, our study of John's gospel. John 15, verses 18 through 20 says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So uh, as a Christian... You should prepare yourself to be hated. Right? That was in the fine print of signing up to follow Jesus. Uh, and he, he lays that out for us here. You should expect to be uh, gossiped about behind your back. Now, you should expect your words to be twisted uh, in your workplace, uh, in your, your neighborhood, in your community. If you cling to the teaching of the Bible, you should expect uh, to be called, among other things, intolerant. Bigoted, narrow-minded, harsh, unloving, unkind, biased, racist, privileged, prejudiced, patriarchal, sexist, homophobic, transphobic. The list could go on and on. Expect for those words to be coming your way if you are going to follow Christ. Uh, And so on one hand, we we can uh, and should expect to be slandered by the world. Uh, And we prepare our hearts uh, and minds for that. Uh, and that is uh, coming if you haven't experienced it already. But uh, we could expect uh, gossip and slander to come at us from the world. But here's what we also should come to expect. That gossip and slander are just a part of living in a fallen world. Uh, which means that gossip and slander, uh, we also need to, to set our hearts on guard and come to expect it also from uh, within, possibly, uh, the church or, or within our own families. Uh, the sins of the tongue will be alive and well as long as people are talking to one another. As long as we are breathing and speaking, uh, we will be sinning with our mouths. Uh, And uh, as long as uh, we are doing that in the church, these sins will also be present in the church to one degree or another. Uh, And nearly every uh, epistle in the New Testament addresses the sins of the tongue uh, at some portion of uh, its uh, uh, words and verses. These sins are are unavoidable, and so they continually need to be addressed uh, personally and corporately. Remember, uh, at the beginning of the series, I read uh, James chapter 3, verse 2. 
It says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, now able to bridle the whole body as well. So if you want to be perfect, just perfectly speak uh, all the time. It's as simple as that. But we can rest assured uh, that uh, others have gossiped about us, that we've gossiped about others. We've talked through that in weeks past. Sometimes when, when gossip takes place, uh, it doesn't have a, uh, a significant impact uh, upon our reputation in a given community. Sometimes it, it, uh, it stays uh, hidden. Sometimes uh, gossip will, will continue to expand and it will uh, change and influence the way others view us and think about us. And sometimes the, the damage of gossip is so significant that it becomes irreversible. One rabbi gave this illustration that uh, in a small Eastern European town, a man uh, went through the community slandering the rabbi. Uh, and one day, feeling uh, remorseful, he, he came to the rabbi and he begged for forgiveness. Uh, and he offered to, to undergo any penance to make things right. And the rabbi said, well, take one of your feather pillows at home and go into the, the town square uh, and uh, cut open the the pillow and then come back and talk to me. So the gentleman goes and does it. He goes to the town square, cuts open the pillow, uh, and then he, he goes back and speaks with the rabbi. And the rabbi says, okay, now go get all of the feathers. And the man says, I, what? I, I can't do that. All of those feathers, they are, they are gone and driven to the wind. And the rabbi says, yep, precisely. And although you truly wish to correct the evil that you have done, it is as impossible to repair the damage done by your words as it is to recover all of those feathers. That that is the the damage uh, that gossip can do. Uh, It can be so significant. Once the the flames begin to go, they're unstoppable. But what do we do when those flames or those uh, feathers uh, ha- about us uh, have scattered to the wind, right? What do we do when we are left with all of the hurt uh, and pain of being gossiped about? How should we respond when we are the victims of gossip? Uh, and again, it's only a matter of time. And I would offer three, three responses to the pain of being gossiped about this morning. Uh, Because we need to prepare our hearts uh, ahead of time just as much as we need to uh, guard our hearts uh, and our tongues uh, from gossiping about others. We also need to prepare uh, our hearts of what do we do in that moment when uh, a bad word about us has been spread around. Well, uh, the first response I would uh, offer up to you that we see in Scripture is uh, that we would uh, lower uh, or humble yourself. When we find out that that gossip has been circulating about us, our first response is usually uh, to uh, to shoot back uh, and ask questions later. Right? If someone's been been shooting uh, arrows uh, at us, uh, we like to to fire back, uh, and uh, we want to offer up our own uh, barrage in retaliation. But uh, if you turn back over to Second Samuel chapter sixteen, the an insightful passage uh, on uh, how we ought to uh, re- respond to the words of others. This is uh, as uh, David is having to to flee from the city of Jerusalem because his son Absalom is coming to kill him. Uh, his son Absalom is coming for the kingdom, uh, and and David is needing to flee. If you look with me, chapter sixteen in Second Samuel, verse five. And King David came to Bahurim, and behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the the son of Gera. And he came out, uh, and cursing continually as he came, he also threw stones at David, uh, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people, uh, and all of the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. And thus Shimei said he when he cursed get out get out you man of bloodshed and vile fellow Yahweh has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned and Yahweh has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom and behold you are taken in your own evil for you are a man of bloodshed and then Abishai 
the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me pass over now and remove his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? They're actually David's nephews. David says, this is key. If he curses, and if Yahweh has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my son who came forth from my body seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite, let him alone and let him curse. For Yahweh has told him, perhaps Yahweh will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. When, when, when gossip and, and slander and curses are, are coming upon you, the first thing that we ought to do is to humbly examine our own life to see if there's any truth to what is being said. And that's hard, right? Now, but just to take that little bit of time, we, we may uh, examine ourselves and we may conclude, no, this is false, uh, but, but we need to, to examine our hearts uh, and our minds first and foremost. We need to take a look at our lives. First Peter chapter 4 uh, makes a key distinction. In, in speaking to uh, the church under persecution, Peter says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Or you may be a gossip. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. So Peter says, if you're going to suffer, make sure that you are suffering for Christ and for righteousness. Right? There is a difference between persecution and prosecution. Uh, and we need to, to make sure and examine our hearts and our lives uh, and, and not uh, embrace uh, prosecution as being persecution. If we, if we have sinned, we need to own it and confess it. Now, we need to forsake it and not uh, cry uh, as uh, one who's being sinned against. Uh, and this, this pattern of self-examination is also seen in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we read the beginning of that earlier in Matthew 5, but later on in Matthew 7. It says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take this speck out of your brother's eye. You have to, to keep this in mind uh, if you are being gossiped about. I need to first examine myself uh, to see if there is any truth to what is uh, being said or, or the, uh, what is uh, being uh, promoted about me. Uh, but then uh, in, uh, in this kind of putting on the same mindset of, uh, of David there in Second Samuel, what was his attitude? He says, yeah, this, this man Shimei is coming and he, he's cursing at me and he's explaining uh, why I'm having to run. He's giving his version of the events. Uh, again, it would have been really easy for, for David uh, to tell one of his mighty men to say, hey, they're offering, right? Hey, you want me to go take his head off? Sure. But, but he says, no, no, no. Uh, and, and he looks beyond Shimei and he looks and says, maybe the Lord is behind us. And maybe the Lord uh, is at work in this uh, cursing and in uh, this slander that is coming against me. Now, Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity be happy, but in the day of adversity consider that God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. So all of the days of blessing in your life, uh, who is uh, the sovereign God behind those? God, up above. But what about those days when you are being maligned and talked about behind your back? God is also at work in those days just as much as in the days of blessing. And sometimes the Lord allows trials to enter into our lives in order to humble us, in order to keep us from exalting ourselves. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and uh, earlier at the beginning of this chapter, uh, well, really the whole book, Paul is defending himself against uh, slander. He's defending himself against uh, the, the harsh words of uh, some in the Corinthian church who were exalting themselves uh, as, 
being equal to or even greater than the Apostle Paul. And so in, in this letter, you see at times he has to, he has to defend himself. Uh, and uh, he's going to explain that uh, the vision that he has, but he's not even, not even willing to, uh, to acknowledge that it was him uh, in terms of uh, uh, his boasting. If you look at uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 1, he says, It is necessary to boast, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. In essence, authenticating his ministry as an apostle. But then he's not even willing to say it was him. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago. So he's like, I have to defend myself against these charges, but I don't want to boast and brag. He talks about the, the visions that he had. But then verse 7, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul understood that the Lord was at work in, uh, and there's a lot of discussion on what this uh, messenger of, uh, of Satan was that came to, to torment him. Others, uh, some say that it was a particular uh, individual who was uh, following uh, him around uh, from city to city uh, and teaching contrary to him and against him. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, options uh, there, but ultimately uh, Paul prayed for it to be removed, or the person to be removed uh, from uh, attacking him. And what did, what did God say to him? On three separate occasions. No, no, this is going to stick with you. And what was the purpose of it? Uh, to, to keep Paul from exalting himself. Uh, sometimes uh, to be gossiped about is not fun. And when I say sometimes, I mean all the time. It's, it's never fun to be gossiped about and slandered about. To be maligned and attacked. Uh, but the Lord has a purpose in it. Uh, and he's working through it. So that we have to, to understand and seek to, to honor the Lord in what is taking place. And there's some questions to ask of, our, uh, of ourselves. When, when gossip has been swirling, really just asking, is there any truth to what is being said? Is there anything that I need to, to own? Is there anything that I need to, uh, to turn in repentance from? Are there some things that I need to, uh, to change or work on or to address? Uh, and uh, I love this uh, this, this point was brought up uh, in one of the Shepherds Conference uh, sessions that I attended several years ago. The pastor was talking about a, a, a pastor and his critics. And he says, actually, you should give thanks uh, because they, your worst, uh, biggest critics only know the half of it. Uh, they, they, if they knew how much of a sinner you actually are, uh, it, w- it would be far, far worse. Uh, and, and so you, you, you praise God uh, that all of your sin is not fully on display for everybody to see. Uh, and uh, in that sense, uh, if anybody knew the full depth of sin in our hearts, uh, there would be much, much more for them to talk about. Uh, and so we need to, to understand. And when gossip and slander is swirling around us, our first response should be to humble ourselves. To examine, uh, to see if there's anything that we need to, to repent of and to confess and to forsake. Uh, and this is a difficult first response. But if we don't do this, it's going to be really, really hard uh, for us to, to go to the second or third responses. Uh, this is the, the first step of humbling ourselves. The second response would be to, to look to God. To turn to him in prayer and prayer ultimately puts all things uh, into perspective. And as we as we look to God in prayer, uh, we are able to express to him all of the pain uh, that we are uh, living through and being gossiped about. If you read through the Psalms regularly, uh, you'll see a full range of, uh, of human emotions. One pastor has said that the, the Psalms are the, the richest quarry to mine in the Bible for learning how to righteously survive uh, being the victim of other people's sins. If you want to know how to respond when others are sinning against you, read the Psalms. In the Psalms, you read David's emotions as he is slandered by his enemies and betrayed by friends. 
Psalm uh, 55, if you want to turn there, there's, I'll be quoting uh, from 55, 56, and 57 here in short succession. But the, this uh, grouping of, of psalms, we see uh, so much of the, the trials that David uh, walked through. Psalm 55, verses 4 through 7, David says, My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. Uh, God is the one uh, that we need to run to. Uh, God is the one that we can express all of our uh, pain, all of our uh, hurts, all of our uh, fears, all of our trembling. When, when, uh, when gossip is being uh, spread, when, when, the, when the feathers have scattered to the wind, what do we do? We humble ourselves and then we, we, we look to God. And we can pour out our hearts to him. We, we talked about the danger of uh, venting to others, but we are to vent fully and completely to God. Now, we can pour out all of our cares, all of our concerns to him. So we express all of the pain. We can also, uh, as we pray to God, we can entreat God for justice. If you look at uh, Psalm 54, beginning in verse 1, listen to what David prays for. He says, Oh God, save me by your name and render justice to me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me and ruthless men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. What is David praying for? God, you know what is taking place right now. Bring justice to this situation. Now, you know that uh, evil people are aligning themselves against me. Come, rescue me. Bring justice to this situation. And while we can and, and should pray for uh, justice uh, to be uh, dealt out, uh, we have to be careful not to be uh, the one who brings that justice. Okay, Leviticus uh, 19, verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, elsewhere in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. And that same verse is cited in Romans 12 by the Apostle Paul. He says, Never take your own revenge. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. David pours out his heart in the Psalms and he expresses uh, anger at the injustice that is coming his way. But he doesn't direct that anger towards uh, men. He, he directs it towards God. And he leaves things in God's hand. Now, and this was, was demonstrated on several occasions in the life of David. Uh, because there, there were two times that are recorded in Scripture uh, that David had the opportunity to take the life of King Saul. Uh, King Saul is coming after him, chasing him through the wilderness, seeking to kill David. Uh, and one time David and his men are, are hidden in the back of a cave and Saul and his men come and sleep in the front of the cave. Uh, and again, the, the sons of Zeruiah, uh, the, those nephews of uh, King David say, look, the king is right there. This guy who's chasing you and wanting to kill you, you can kill him right here, right now. David says, no, I can't do that. It's not my place to kill the king to become king. David had already been promised that he would be the king of Israel, but it's not uh, in his power, in his way, uh, to, to, to earn the, the throne by bloodshed. That, that tarnishes everything. David rested and said, no, if, God's gonna, if I'm going to be king, God will allow it to happen in his own timing and in his own way. Even though Saul had been persecuting and attacking David for no reason, David could have taken vengeance, but he said, no, I'm going to leave it in the hands of the Lord. And when we, when we seek to take vengeance into our own hands, what tends to happen? Right? When we say, I'm going to make things right. This person has sinned against me. I'm going to get them back. What do we tend to do? We get them back a little bit more. Right? We, go, we go one step further. So my wife learned not to throw snowballs at me. Because it, I 
Don't let it go down. But Genesis 4.23, we see this. And Lamech, he boasts in this. He said to his wives, uh, Ada and Zillah, he said, Listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. He, he is boasting in uh, a, a, a sharp vengeance. Uh, and the command uh, in the Old Testament uh, is often quoted an eye for an eye. Now, that is actually intended to limit retribution. It's intended to, to limit vengeance. It's, it's a capstone. It's not a, a mandated sentencing. It is intended to keep us from going beyond uh, what justice should be. It's not mandated. We do what is right, and here's the maximum sentence. So that we don't continue to one-up and, and have a, a family feud, so to speak. Because we continue to... Uh, to uh, uh, continue to escalate the vengeance uh, one against another. You've heard of the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Go and Google that and, and search about that family feud where it just continued to escalate. Uh, they continued to go higher and higher. And our prayers for justice ultimately need to be uh, lifted up to God. We leave vengeance uh, for Him. Uh, and right along with that, uh, we should be uh, praying for the salvation or the sanctification of those who are gossiping about us. We see this very clearly in, in Acts chapter 7, uh, where one of the first uh, deacons, uh, Stephen, uh, he, he was deacon, uh, though he was, he was also a preacher. Uh, chapter 7 in Acts is a long chapter, and it's uh, David, or, uh, Stephen's sermon uh, to the same group of men that crucified Christ. Preaching to the Sanhedrin. And he gets to the end of the, the, the chapter, verses 51 and 53, and he comes to the application part, the judgment portion of the sermon. He says, you men stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That says, you killed the Messiah. And they rise up, and what do they do? They stone him. And yet, as they are stoning him, he, he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he prays. Father, do not hold this sin against them. Right, so his greatest uh, concern there uh, was for them to see and understand that they had betrayed and murdered the Messiah who had come to them. And they need to understand that. And then when they are lashing out in anger as he spoke the truth to them, uh, he is in essence praying for their salvation. That, that's how our prayers need to be intermixed we pray for justice but we also pray uh, uh, for the lord to act uh, for the lord to work in the hearts and minds of those who are uh, speaking and acting against us so we can uh, express our pain we can entreat the lord for justice that we can also exercise faith we're still there in the psalms you turn over to psalm 57 psalm 57 we see in verse 4 David is in dire straits. He says, my soul is among lions and I am lying down among those who breathe forth fire. Sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue is a sharp sword. What does it sound like? He's being spoken about illy. He's being gossiped about, being slandered, surrounded by it. But if you, if you backtrack a little bit to the beginning of the psalm, David began with a trust in the Lord, a trust that the Lord would act on his behalf. He says, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Now, I will call to, call to God most high, not to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send his loving kindness and his truth. When we are being gossiped and slandered, uh, what should we do? If we, if we humble ourselves and look to God, we're going to draw nearer to him. That was the whole purpose of uh, that, that thorn in the, the flesh uh, for the Apostle Paul. Uh, it drove him into greater relationship with God rather than driving it, uh, him away. Uh, and David expresses this absolute faith that God will deliver him in the midst of this trial and circumstance. And that's uh, whenever we are being gossiped and slandered about, we have that kind of an opportunity uh, to exercise faith and tr trust in the Lord. 
In Psalm 56, uh, David describes his affliction at the hands of men. Verse 1 and 2, Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for many attack me proudly. But he also expresses his trust in the Lord. Verse 8, You have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back, and in the day when I call, this I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In Yahweh, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's what we need to remember in those moments where it feels like uh, all is lost, uh, when uh, our reputation has been just uh, shot through because these words have been spoken about us and against us. Uh, we are called to, to entrust ourselves to the Lord, uh, to be absolutely convinced that He is still for us, even though man is against us, that He is for us. And since God is for us, what does it matter what man does against us? Right, that's, that's Romans 8. Uh, that's, that's Paul's logic. If God is for us, who is against us? I.e., it doesn't matter who's against us. But we need to believe and exercise faith that in those moments when we are being slandered and maligned and gossiped about, God is still with us and God is still for us. Psalm 55:22 says, Cast your burden upon Yahweh and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to be convinced of. We express our pain, we uh, entreat for justice, we exercise faith, but also we need to entrust our reputation. And this is very, very difficult because our reputation is invaluable. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth, and favor is better than silver and gold. So your reputation is really the most valuable possession that you have but it's something that others can completely destroy. And since you are not able to control how and what others think about you at all times, you have to entrust yourself to the Lord. You have to entrust yourself, your reputation to the one who judges rightly. And really, this is the pattern that was established for us in Christ. If you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2, And 1 Peter uh, is a book written to Christians facing persecution. Yes, that can be physical persecution, being taken into the Colosseum. But it can also be uh, verbal persecution, being maligned, being spoken about. And that's what we see uh, Peter addressing here. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you look... uh, Verse 24, what credit is there when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure, uh, and are harshly treated, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this finds favor with God. Verse 21, for to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth who, being reviled, was not reviling in return. And while suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Christ is that ultimate example of being slandered and attacked and maligned. Ultimately, he was killed for false charges of blasphemy. And yet, what did he do that entire time? He entrusted himself to God the Father. And uh, he allowed things uh, to sort themselves out. He trusted that in time, God would make all things right. My all-time favorite quote from John MacArthur, I say it often, that time and truth go hand in hand. So simple, so poignant. The truth about your character, if you are being maligned, will be revealed in the right time and in the right way. In time, your character, 
uh, should disprove any and all slander that came against you. Right? But you have to, for a time, entrust uh, your reputation to the Lord. Lord, there's false things being said about me. What do I do? Well, first and foremost, I need to begin to be faithful in what the Lord is calling me to. And then I uh, entrust this situation, those who are slandering me, uh, my reputation, all of these things I entrust to the Lord. You turn over to Jeremiah chapter chapter 20. Uh, this is a, a wonderful example. And Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet. He was an emotional guy. Uh, but he was uh, uh, called that because if you, if you read through uh, Jeremiah, you see every so often uh, that uh, Jeremiah just lets loose with a lament. He lets loose with a prayer. He, just, he does like David does, and he just suddenly cries out to God. Uh, because Jeremiah was there uh, speaking against the city of Jerusalem, uh, saying, hey, we need to repent. We need to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God is going to come and he's going to use Nebuchadnezzar to, to bring judgment. And we just need to receive uh, and entrust ourselves to God uh, and uh, give in to Nebuchadnezzar. While all of these other false prophets and all of these others who are uh, saying, no, God will destroy Nebuchadnezzar. And we can fight against him. And Jeremiah's like, no, we can't. It's not going to work. And so the, Jeremiah uh, was continually maligned. At one point he was thrown into a pit. You guys remember that? Uh, and someone had to come and, and haul him out. Uh, But uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 10, we we see one of these portions where uh, Jeremiah just prays out to God. It says, For I have heard the bad report of many, terror on every side. Denounce him. Yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends, keeping watch for my fall, say, perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. But Yahweh is with me like a ruthless, mighty one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have not prospered. With an everlasting dishonor uh, that will not be forgotten. Yet, O Yahweh of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have revealed my cause. This is kind of a, a combination of everything that we've talked about. Uh, lifting up our our care and concern, all of our pain we express to God. Uh, we, we pray for for justice, uh, and yet we also uh, entrust our reputation to the Lord. Right? And, and how do we see that here? Well, verse 12, Jeremiah says, Yahweh of hosts, you who test the righteous, who see the mind and the heart. That's what we need to keep in mind. If we're going to entrust our reputation to God, we're entrusting it to the one who sees all of the, the, the motivations of man. Our own motivations and the motivations of others. So God, you know all of those things. Please make things right. That's Jeremiah's prayer. That's what we must see and understand and be willing to do. We must entrust our reputation to God and we must act faithfully, but we leave the results up to God. We need to be obedient to what the Lord has commanded us to do. And then everything else beyond us, everything that's outside of our control, those are the things that we feel at a loss for, right? But what's this other person going to say? I have to go and convince them. I have to go and confront them. Well, there may be time and a place for that. But, but first and foremost, we, we humble ourselves and then we look to God, expressing all of our care and concern to Him, praying for justice. Lower yourself, look to God. Thirdly, Third response. Really, it's going to be impossible to do this third response if we haven't done the first two. This is the the really hard one. Love your enemies. And see, uh, anyone who is slandering your name in that moment, they are acting like your enemy. And yet, how are we to treat our enemies? If you you turn back over to Matthew 5, back to the Sermon on the Mount. We have a really hard word here. Really high standard that we are called to. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, what, is, what does perfection look like? When others uh, malign you and attack you, when others are acting like your enemy, what do you do? How do you respond to them? You love them. Now, what does it mean to love them? Does it mean you have a strong affection for them in your heart? You've got the warm fuzzies and butterflies? Ooh, there's that person who's maligning me behind my back. I can't wait to see them. Now, not what he's saying here. Biblical love, the idea here is that your overall stance toward them and what you think, say, and do is for them and not against them. That you have their best interest at heart. That you are not uh, wishing to see them destroyed. You're not wishing to see them maligned. Right? So that co-worker who, who slandered you at work and then got the promotion that you were hoping to get might be tempting when they're your new boss, to undermine them, right? To slowly chip away, sow seeds of discord. That's, that's not love. Even if they slandered you, even if they maligned you. That's, uh, that's not what Christians are called to do. And Jesus even points to that. Like it's, it's really easy to love those who love you. Even unbelievers do that. And that's what he says, the, the, the Gentiles and the tax collectors, even they are capable and willing to love those who love them. But we show our paternity, we show who our Father is in what? That when others act against us, we are still willing to love them. Still willing to, uh, to put their best interests at, uh, on our uh, attention and on our heart. Now this is one of those things where I, I know I'm supposed to do this. Right? But it's hard. And so how do I actually follow through in obeying this command? I'll say it begins with, with praying. We've already said we should, be, we should be praying for justice. But when I say pray here, we need to pray for our response. Right? Because I, we, we know we ought to obey, but then we struggle to obey. So what should we do? Say, Lord, help my heart at this moment in time. Help me not to bear a grudge. Help me not to be angry with this person in my heart. Help me not to rehearse their sin against me over and over and over again. Help me to entrust them to you and myself to you. Ask God to help you be more concerned about his glory than your reputation. Ask God to help you be more concerned with the other person's salvation or sanctification than you are in their judgment. Or their slander against you. See their sin against a holy and righteous God as more significant than their sin against you. And pray that the Lord would help you to remember that. We pray for our own response. There's other times where we need to just overlook the sins of others. Just like David did with Shimei. Men says, hey, do you want me to kill this guy? He says, no. Just let, just let it be. We don't need to address it at this point in time. There's times where we need to overlook it. There's a story of an English preacher named Rowland Hill who was indifferent to remarks made by his enemies. On one occasion, he was attacked in one of the public journals. And he was urged by a friend, similar to the son of Zeruiah, and this friend was just exasperated against this writer who was writing against the pastor. And his friend encouraged him to bring legal action. And Rowland Hill just replied with, with dignity. He says, I shall neither answer the libel nor pr- prosecute the writer. And that for two reasons. First, because in attempting the former, I should probably be betrayed into unbecoming violence of temper and expression to my own grief and the wounding of my friends. Right? If I respond, I'm going to respond harshly. Right? And that's, we can probably all say amen to that. But then he gives another reason. He says, I have learned by experience that no man's character can eventually, uh, can be eventually injured, but 
by his own acts. Right? So you see, what is uh, damaging to your reputation? Yes, the words of others will damage your, your reputation. But what will a harsh response by you to their words do to your reputation? That will do far more damage than their words. Because again, time and truth go hand in hand. And you entrust your reputation to the Lord and say, you know what? If these words are false, I trust that in time everyone's going to come and see that they are false. That's what we are called to do. There are times when seeking to defend our reputation, we might actually tarnish it in the long run. Our true character can and should be revealed over the course of time. That we ought to pray. There's times where we ought to overlook. There's times where we need to go and confront. And again, that's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. You read through the letter and you see the Apostle Paul is addressing and dealing with the slander and gossip that is being said about him. He is confronting it. But this is different from uh, taking vengeance. It don't take vengeance is kind of a, a passive thing. But what we are commanded to do here in this type of a confrontation is to love your enemies uh, and uh, to, uh, to desire to see them following the Lord as uh, we follow the Lord. And ultimately, that is our, our hope. Uh, there are times when we need to uh, confront uh, them, uh, and there's times where we need to overlook it. But then ultimately... Uh, what we what we must keep in mind is also uh, not to return uh, evil for good, or not to return good for evil. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't return evil for evil. Uh, make sure uh, that we don't get into that. First Peter chapter three uh, says, "Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing." For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And and this can be overwhelming at times. This sometimes seems impossible uh, to do. How can, how can I uh, love, how can I act for the good of another who is uh, speaking and acting against me? We have uh, the greatest example of this in the gospel. We have the greatest example of this in the triune God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were... Wait, I, th- I thought I said while we were already obeying him. Then he loved us because we already loved him. No, we were all rebelling against him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, he sent his son to act in love toward us for our good. When we love our enemies, we are emulating and imaging God as we ought to. When we love only those who love us, we are doing what all people do not what Christians ought to do. We need to put the gospel on display. And with that in mind, uh, we must do more than just the, the Gentiles and the tax collectors. That we must show and demonstrate and prove that we have a Father in heaven who acted on our behalf when we were his enemies. And he has saved us and rescued us by sending his son to live and die and rise again. And there's a promise of reconciliation for all who hope, all who trust in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. And see, we, we get to live out the gospel when, when we are being gossiped about, when we are being maligned and attacked. Ultimately, we need to respond by lowering ourselves, by, by looking to God, by loving our enemies. What about the, the worst case scenario? The, the worst of the worst, where it's just, uh, you may, might not even be able to get a job uh, in, in that town anymore because of what has been said about you? Well, what if you have been gossiped about and maligned to that degree? What do you do then? I would say that there is still hope in Christ at that point in time. And this is where we need to keep the, the big picture, uh, the overarching uh, theme of the Bible in our hearts and in our minds. See, those with, with, without a big view of history... 
They feel like every experience of injustice must be dealt with in this life. Right? And that is the ideal situation, right? Uh, that everything that we go through, whenever somebody sins against us, that, that, that gets immediately dealt with. That's the ideal, but does that actually happen? Or as, as we go through life, there's actually a long list of things that are accumulating, right? Sins against us that have been unaddressed. Uh, and what hope do we have in those situations where it feels like uh, we have suffered great injustice, we have all of these consequences in our life from the sins of other people? What do we do in those instances? The world would say we have to try and make everything right. But that ultimately, in, in seeking to, to be God and seeking to try and uh, bring vengeance upon everybody who has done us wrong, that only creates bitterness in our hearts, bitterness in our soul. We see that actually in the culture around us right now. But for Christians, we have a view of history that enables us uh, to entrust our souls and all of the injustices that we experience. We get to entrust ourselves to God. And we keep a big view of history because what is going to happen at the end of time? Yeah, ultimately, we are all going to stand before God. And all those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ, our sins have already been judged and been judged righteously. They've already been judged because they were judged on the cross of Calvary. So, so we don't need to, uh, to, to grow angry with another believer who has sinned against us because that sin has already been judged. And if unbelievers uh, sin against us and we are experiencing injustice, if we are being slandered and maligned by the world, we entrust ourselves to God knowing that he will make all things right. He will judge perfectly and righteously at the final judgment. And this is where we are to find our hope and to find our rest. That all things will be made right. All things will be made new uh, as we entrust them to a sovereign, holy, impartial creator who will judge all things perfectly. The world is at a loss because they don't have that assurance. They try to do it themselves, but we uh, need to live and act differently. And that's how uh, we humble ourselves. Uh, that's how we look to God as the perfect judge. And that's ultimately how we are able to love our enemies, knowing that we don't have to make everything right. But we can entrust them to God who will make all things right in the proper time and in the proper way. Amen? That is our hope.